It's a brand new year. It's a brand new year. We, um, I like uh, taking the beginning of the year and kind of rehashing things we may know and and um, things we need to reinforce in our lives. And how many of you made New Year's resolutions already? Anybody make a New Year's resolution? Good. I don't, I don't think I ever make New Year's resolutions because uh, I don't like rules. And I figure out if I make a rule at the beginning of the year, I'm probably going to break it. So, um, so I tend not to make a rule right away. But that's just me. Um, but we, uh, we do have the, um, the desire to become better and become more like Christ. So I'm looking forward to a whole nother year to be able to do that and to be able to do it with you and grow in our walk together. And so thankful for the online family that's watching uh, and joining us this morning all over the place. And um, Mountaineer Recovery Center in Martinsburg, Fort Detrick Fire Department joins us every, every week. We just... Um, thankful for an online family during, uh, during these times and knowing that the gospel is growing. Amen. It's going far and wide. We're thankful for that. So join a connect group in 2021. Maybe you've never done that before. Join a connect group, get it done and uh, become a part of growing in your faith. How many of you have, uh, have ever bought a car off a of Facebook marketplace? Anybody ever went and looked at a car on Facebook? Could you, could you turn the house lights up so I can see if there's anybody's hands? So I can just look at you. Uh, anybody ever bought a car on Facebook? Okay. Um, you know, when Facebook Marketplace started out at the beginning, it was like a real yard sale type thing. Like you get stuff cheap on there. Now, not happening. And people figured out how to take pictures of things. I drove to D.C. one time to look at a car that on Facebook Marketplace, you know what I'm going to say? I looked at my wife. It was a car for one of our kids. And I looked at my wife. I was like, oh, man, this is a deal. It's a good-looking car. It was a car I knew how to work on, all that stuff. And So I think a buddy of mine got in the car with me, drove two hours down to D.C. I ended up in a chop shop. I'm from Martinsburg, West Virginia. We don't have big chain link fences with barbed wire around our dealerships. So we pulled up to this place and I walked in and the guy was like, yeah, it's back there in the back. Just back there in the back, huh? So I walked back in the back. This car is just, you couldn't even get the doors open on it because it was parked so close to other cars back on the lot. And we go back there. I think the tires are flat on it. And I'm looking at the guy with me. I'm like, this is not the car I looked at on Facebook. So I pull up the Facebook thing and I'm like, <sighs> I kind of stand at the angle of the camera that I'm like, oh, yep. Stand at this. A- yeah, that's the car. But they didn't get the flat tire in the picture. We lifted the hood. They didn't get that engine in the picture. And so we just, uh, we just rolled out and I don't think I ever looked at another car on Facebook marketplace again after that. We're going to talk about that this year, beginning of this year for the next couple of months 
uh, we're starting a new sermon series called Under the Hood. Now, any, do I have any, do I have any um, car, car people out there? Any motorheads? Yeah. I'm sort of a, a car person, motorhead. I like working on cars, doing the whole thing. And um, here's what I found out about cars. The drivetrain is more important than the paint. Some of you people like shiny cars. I like a good engine because you can make the car shine at any time. If you buy a car with a bad motor or a bad drivetrain, that's a lot harder deal to fix. So last year, I, um, I was sensing God talking about this in, in the life of the church. But when you look under the hood of the church, it should be better than the paint. It should be better than the paint. And we got a lot of nice paint at our church. It's only about not even two years old. So the paint's still good. Kids haven't torn it up all the way. You know what I'm saying? Paint your house, just count the dates so the kids tear it up. It's really good. But if somebody pops the hood of the church and looks at the motor, the motor better be as exceptional as the paint. That's what matters. So we started talking about it like this in with leadership of the church. We want people to be more enamored the more they become involved than on Sunday morning. Like I'll be honest with you, Sunday morning is pretty easy. You, um, you only have to be nice to people for so long. Now we do three services here. So the people that are volunteering a lot here at Hope Community Church have to learn how to be nice from like 7.30 to one-ish. And a church only does one service. You, you may be talking about two hours, you gotta be nice. I'm talking about churches nice seven days a week. Come on. A church that's gracious seven days a week. A church is generous seven days a week. That Sunday morning paint is just that. But when you pop the hood, the car really, really runs good. So that's what I want to talk to you. We're going to open up uh, this month with this. If you, um, I talked to a friend of mine who um, helps me uh, preach better. And he's, uh, he was here, our pastor appreciation's name's Nat. And he will email me and tell me, uh, that I mentioned his name in the service and I called him friend when I said his name. I talked to them the other day about this statement. I said, Nat, I'm concerned about the character of the church, not just the, not just the look of it. I said, you know, I think people, we talk about character in people, but at the end of the day, the church has a character as well. And it's important that when people come to a church, they're not just enamored by Sunday morning and then, and, then, and then they figure out the people are evil. But that the closer they get to the people in the church, they realize that this God thing is real and it's not just about Sunday morning. And so if you will indulge me, I like to take the beginning of the year and go over some mechanical parts that make us who we are. And uh, these may not be your best life now sermons. They may not be how to get rich quick sermons, which I don't even believe is true. Uh, but they will be over the next couple of months sermons at the core of who we are. 
as a group of people. And so, uh, so if you will, if you'll walk with me down through that, I think, I think we can take the beginning of the year uh, and be a church that's just as good uh, under the hood as it is with the paint on the outside. So we got some uh, core values that we, um, that we kind of adhere to at this church. There's six of them. That was two. This is six. There's six core values uh, that we have here that we hold dear to that, that kind of describe what we believe and, uh, and how we flesh that out. So the first one we talk about is unity. And uh, today I'm going to open up, not actually talking about the core values, but talking about the importance. Uh, but over the next couple of weeks, we're going to flesh all these out. So unity, we say we don't have to be uh, we don't have to be all the same to be united. We can have our differences still be united. That's the way we talk about unity. We're not uniform. We're just in unity. Everybody good with that? Because I don't want you to be like me and I don't want, I don't want to have to be like you. I want to be me and I want you to be you. That's the, that's the best way to do it. Amen. But we can all be headed in the same direction, even though we, even though we're different people. Unity. That's a big one for us. Another one is honor. Now, I believe that we should honor the gift of God in every person out there. I believe we should honor the gift of God in every person out there. And if their gift is different than ours, it doesn't make it any less valuable. Amen? And so I also believe that if you volunteer in a church that you receive, that you should receive double honor, not just for a pastor, but if you're involved in any part of the church that you should have double honor, that you should be thought of highly. You're giving your time and effort. So we believe in honoring people for the gift that God put in them. Uh, We believe in excellence, doing the best that you can, doing the best that you can, because the Bible tells us that we're doing it for the Lord, not for men. So putting your best foot forward, putting your best effort into it in excellence. We believe in a thing called um, generosity. Now don't get nervous. I'm not telling you which Sunday I'm preaching on money. Now listen, I think the church makes a mistake of only talking about generosity in one way, when it's people to the church. I think we should talk about generosity in a whole different mindset. The generosity towards each other, not just the church collecting an offering. Matter of fact, we don't even collect the offering. If you want to be generous, you can do it on your way out. I'm not going to have somebody stand beside you and bump you with the offering plate. But I believe generosity should be the way we treat each other. And if we're generous towards each other, the church will be fine. Amen? I also believe in this little thing. How many was that? Do you remember? Unity? We got unity. Honor. Come on. Excellence. Generosity. So that's four. Okay, ready for the fifth one? This is going to catch you off guard. We call it resourcefulness. I believe you should eke out every ounce of usefulness in what God has given you. I don't think we should just throw things away and get new things. I think we should figure out how to use what God has given us all the way to the fullest ability. We should be resourceful for the gospel. Amen? Amen? And then the last one is one of the most important things I think we could do. We call it the process the process. Here's what I know. Everybody in this building is on a different stage in the process in their relationship with God. 
we're all on, we're all on a different stage of the timeline. We're all, we're all moving towards him, but we're not all in the same place. So guess what that means? We're with you through the whole process. That means when you mess up, which you will, just like I will, when we mess up, when we sin, when we don't get it all right, that means the church doesn't leave you. That means we get around you and go, come on, man, we keep going. We're with you through the whole process. We don't want to, we don't want to dip out in the middle because the thing, as I heard somebody say, I had a rough patch. We don't want to just stop because somebody's in the middle. We want to support all the way through to the end. How, how many does that sound good to go stick it out all the way to the end with people? One thing you'll find out about me is I don't quit easy. I don't like quitting on people easy. And so those are the things that we hold dear here. So when we pop the hood, that's what we want to see. So today we're going to start out talking about what's on, what's important under the hood. You ready? Stay on your feet. We're going to read some encouraging scripture from Matthew. <laughs> Matthew chapter 23. I think Jesus used the word hypocrite like, I don't know, 35 times in this scripture. Now, I just want to let you know that I'm preaching to the choir here, not to Pharisees. So take a deep breath. We're the church. We're just getting together to find out, double down on what God's called us to do. Are you all right with that? You're like, I came to church this morning to be encouraged and I was going to make more money. Okay, we'll get to that. Maybe. Matthew chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move, a, move them with a, their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and no, and call no man your father on earth for you have one father in heaven who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is where it gets fun. Verse 13, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that was made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and the plate, that the outside that the outside may, or first clean the inside of the cup of the plate, that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of whom you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I said to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we take the beginning of the year just to be more like you be the real deal all the way through. And we pray, Lord, that you'd renew our minds today. Lord, because we are together looking into your word, we know you promised that. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. This is Matthew's recollection of what happened at this, uh, at this event. Luke records... Jesus teaching and then a Pharisee inviting him to his house. And Jesus makes the, um, the giant mistake of not washing his hands. Didn't wash his hands before he ate. I mean, all of you know that's cataclysmic nowadays. It was cataclysmic then too because the ceremonial act of washing your hands before you ate was just as much a religious experience as it was a a cleanliness experience. And so Jesus doesn't wash his hands before he eats. and And the Pharisee flips straight out on him. It says, Luke records that the Pharisee was astonished that Jesus didn't wash his hands. (laughs) Good thing the Pharisee doesn't come to my house. Jesus doesn't wash his hands. The Pharisee looks at him and says, how how are you going to eat like that? That was, um, that was the worst mistake the Pharisee had ever made calling Jesus out for not washing his hands. You didn't realize that Jesus wasn't a good rule follower. There's a lot of things he came to earth and he was just seemed to be breaking a bunch of rules over and over again. His disciples 
were doing things on the Sabbath. He was healing people on the Sabbath, which was a giant no-no. He was not washing his hands before a meal. He was touching uh, people with leprosy. He was, uh, he let a, he, he let a woman, uh, who was, uh, you know, didn't have a really, really great job. Anoint him with oil. He ran off a bunch of a bunch of hypocrites from trying to stone a woman caught in adultery. Like he, like this dude broke a bunch of rules. So now he's at the Pharisee's house. He agreed to go eat with him. And now he doesn't wash his hands. The Pharisee's flipping out on him. Astonished that he would stoop to such a spiritual low, not to wash his hands before he ate. Jesus said, oh, you want to talk about inconsistencies? Ha, okay. I got a few for you. Why don't we start off with, you're all fake. So Jesus goes down through in verse in chapter 23 of Matthew with a litany like he had just stored up all this stuff. And when the Pharisee said, hey, he didn't wash your hands, he just went. I'm sure at the end of the thing, the Pharisee was not happy. I'm sure he wasn't happy. I'm sure he was furious. But I bet you he was speechless. Jesus begins to walk down through the difference between leading and ruling. See, the Pharisees were really good at ruling people, but they weren't very good at leading people. Jesus points it out right at the beginning. He said, you put out all these rules, man, and you yourself don't even follow them. You put out, you put out all these things. You put out all this burden on people and you yourselves don't do it. That's why Jesus used a little kind of, trick at the beginning that when he, when he talked about how they sit in the seat of Moses, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do what they do. They want you to listen to them, but they don't want you to do what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move their own finger. So we find out that, that these Pharisees, that these religious people of the day loved the place of authority. In, in the front of a synagogue, there would be a stone that they would sit on. And that was, that was the place where they taught from. And, and it was assuming that they were kind of taking the place of authority, which, which kind of indicated that they were taking the place of Moses. And, and, and Moses, you know, come on, Moses led everybody out of Egypt. Moses, the Ten Commandments, that's where the law came from. And so when these guys were sitting on this spot in the synagogues teaching, having their church, they held the authority. They're the ones everybody had to listen to. They're the ones that everybody had to do what they said. They loved the place of authority. Had to feel good. They went to great lengths to project the image of authority without actually following the requirements. It says they put long tassels and, and phylacteries and all these, all these special things to make them look more in charge. That's why I wore jeans today. Jeans make you look in charge. Maybe I got that backwards. They wanted to look holy instead of being holy. They love being able to rule people, but were ineffective at leading them. Verse four says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. 
Jesus is saying it would be so easy for you to relieve all this burden on people, but you won't do it. Verse 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And then when they become a proselyte, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourself. He's saying you go to such great lengths to convert people, and then you heap these burdens on them and make them worse than when they started. They love the authority. You know what? I, I told you, I don't, like, I don't like a lot of rules. I just don't. I'm a guy that's going to end up breaking them sooner or later. Like, I don't know. We don't need to do that today. The speed limit thing. <laughs> or the inspection on your car thing. I mean, I think that month is a suggestion. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else drive their car like that? Like, I mean, it's in the general vicinity of that year, you should get your car inspected. <laughs> I know some people in here, in the general vicinity of this decade, you should get your car inspected. I better be careful. I, yeah, never mind. I'm thinking about a few vehicles I have right now. I, I, I have this trouble with just rules, like, like just line up and follow the rules. Man, if Jesus would have just lined up and followed the rules... The Bible would have been a lot less, had a lot less conversations in it. But he came to challenge the conventional religious thinking. He came to kind of upend it. He came to actually fulfill the whole law to say, look, this is what it looks like now. This is grace has arrived. The Pharisees had no idea what to do with that because they were rule oriented religion. If you do X, Y, and Z, you're holy. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter the type of person you really are. It doesn't really matter how you treat other If you dress the right way, if you say the right things, if you wash your hands before you eat, you're fine. But when you pop the hood, man, that thing looks awful. Jesus came to say, look, what's under the hood that drives you is as important as the clothes you wear. It's important. It's as important as the robe you put on to look important. It's as important as everything you try to do to look good. And so, so I started thinking about our church and how that works. So we've got a lovely building. I thank God so much. The building we're in, I thank for the technology. There's a young man named Ben who does this, all this stuff with the lights. And, and I'm like, dude, you're hanging that over my head. Is it safe? Like, I like the panels and I like all that stuff, but come, like, I'm not trying to check out early because the lighting got messed up. But I do realize that this is just paint. And so what I started talking to the staff about a couple months ago was, was the idea that it's probably pretty easy to, and for people to be enamored on Sunday morning Especially if they mess up and shine the lights in your face and you're like, ah, like it's a nice building. It looks nice when you walk in, you get the, there's nice people at the door, hopefully smiling at you and not shaking your hand now. (laughs) Hopefully you walk in and, and you find a nice kids ministry where you can take your kids and, and check them in and, and, and it feels safe in the whole nine yards. And then you come in here and the music sounds good, and the lights, and the video, and the whole thing, and he's just like, oh man, wow, yeah, I'm going to invite my neighbors, 
hey, my church has lights that move. And they get brighter and dimmer and they play a video on the screen. The pastor's kind of funny every now and then. I don't know what he says, but people are laughing. So it's Sunday morning, but then there's a way we treat each other Monday through Saturday. And what I found over the years is churches make the mistake of enamoring people on Sunday morning, but then heating, heaping burdens on them Monday through Saturday that nobody can bear. They're ruling people, not leading them. The Pharisees were good at ruling over people, and Jesus talked about that. And, but they weren't good at leading people. So you, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't make up a bunch of rules. He said, you will do this. Matter of fact, when he started calling his disciples, hey, just come follow me. And they said, oh, oh uh, okay. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. Well, how's that going to work out? You'll figure it out. Just come on, follow me. I don't remember reading one rule Jesus made up. Hey, if you're going to follow me, you got to quit dressing like that. Turn your hat around straight. Matter of fact, don't wear a hat. Shave. Put some good clothes on. He didn't say anything. Just come follow me. Because it's easy to make up rules for people. It's harder to live a life that people just follow without making up the rules. You know, I started thinking about this in the context of my kids. I wanted my kids to do the right thing because it was the right thing to do, not because it was a rule of dads. So that, that makes it different. That makes the way you enact the rule different. That makes the way you, you discipline the rule different. I want them to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it's dad's thing. You got that? So we lead. So Jesus wasn't saying, just follow these rules and you'll be fine. He was saying, no, 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 come follow me and you'll be fine. The Pharisees were saying, follow the rules. Wash your hands before dinner or you're not right. And Jesus said, man, you guys are crazy. How, how can you treat people like that? So he's pointing out the difference between looking like you're in authority and then actually leading with authority. And it goes deeper. It goes deeper than the paint. You actually pop the hood on the car and you look inside of it. So we start talking to the staff and we start saying, listen, we want people to be more enamored on Wednesday than they are on Sunday morning. We, we want the deeper people get into the church, the, the more they volunteer, the more they get connected to a connect group, the more they, we, we want that to be the thing that sustains them. Not Sunday morning, because here's what I know. I've been doing this long enough to know that this is going to mess up one day. It did this morning. <laughs> First service. All those people that think they're spiritual and come early. Yeah, these things didn't work very well. First service. I didn't know it because I looked this way. But I did realize it when the tech team came running up the steps at the end of the service and jumped behind all these panels and started unplugging stuff. And I was like, what's wrong? They were like, the thing was blinking the whole time. That's why nobody was paying attention. And I thought that makes the illustration even better because sometimes the paint fades. Sometimes it's not as flashy as it always is. Sometimes the mic has feedback. Sometimes things don't go right. Sometimes everything goes wrong. And what if, is that going to be the only thing that holds people? Is that going to be the, is that, well, I'm not serving God anymore. The pan, the led panels messed up. 
I'm not going back to that church. They didn't have any moving lights anymore. How could we possibly have enough faith to go through a pandemic if it's only dependent on how well Sunday morning goes? How could we ever have enough faith to walk through a life-threatening illness if we only have enough, if it's all attached to the way Sunday morning goes? How could we ever have enough faith? And what I find out is Sunday morning is actually not the most important thing that happens. And I'm shooting myself in the foot right now. But it's not. The church isn't just Sunday morning. The church is just that the church. There is no, yeah, so we gather together on Sunday morning. But the Pharisees were gathering together on Saturday. And they were, and Jesus said, look, the fact that you're gathering together doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're any, any more like me than anybody that's not gathering. He said, that's not the, that's not the whole issue. It's the way you're treating each other. So you'll notice on just about all of our core values, they have something to do with how we treat each other. We're going to be generous to who? To each other. We're going to do things excellent. Why? Because if I do it really well, it impacts you. You don't have to make up for my mistakes if, I, if, I, if I'm going to carry my weight and do it well. It impacts you. If we're going to be in unity, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to, I'm going to work together with you. If we're, going to, if we're going to walk through the process together, it all has stuff to do with, with each other. And the Pharisees just said, you know what? You just follow the rules. And when you break the rules, you're out. They loved doing whatever they wanted, but looking righteous. Verse 5 says they made their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they loved the place of honor, feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They loved the whole thing that went with being in charge and went with righteous. They loved the paint on the car. That was the most important thing to them. Their mentality was not concerned with being holy, but looking holy. Here's what I find out. Holiness always intersects with the way we treat other people. I don't think you can be holy and mean at the same time. Amen? Some of you are like, well, it depends on what it is. I don't think you can be holy on Sunday morning and then rip somebody up on Facebook Sunday afternoon. I don't think that's holiness. When you pop the hood, do you see as much holiness on the inside as you do on the outside? And with these people Jesus was talking about, it wasn't the same. He said, you dress up to look holy, but there's no holiness inside of you. The way we treat others always indicates how close to God we are. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. But inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may also be clean. So he says, look, if we work on inward holiness, if we work on being good people like Christ, treating other people the way he did and forgiving and accept all those things, he said, the outside will clean it up itself. So I'll let you in on a little thing that I have conversations with people. So they, they say stuff like this. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how 
they could get away with doing that. You know how it goes. You know, if somebody sins differently than you do. You know, I never bring up somebody that sins like me. I'm like, man, you know that guy's temper. I leave tempers alone. Yeah, I don't want to talk about temper because I got one. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about people being greedy because I think I'm pretty generous. Yeah, I'd rather talk about greed than tempers. I'd rather talk about anything else than the sin I'm carrying. So you know how it goes. You start, you start talking about somebody's sin and then, and then you try to figure out how to, how to act holy about it. You're like, I don't know how they do that. Hmm. I couldn't do that. Well, you're doing something else. You may not be doing that, but we're doing something else. Amen. I mean, I think most of you are doing at least something. If I'm doing something, I think everybody's probably doing something. Amen. It's just a different something than maybe you might be doing. By the way, it's just as bad. I don't think there's little sins and big sins. I mean, there's little sins and big sins, but I think they're all sin. So he says, wash the outside. You want to wash up the outside, but I'm telling you, wash the inside. So we just start looking. Oh, they do that and they do that and they do that. And we never... We feel good about ourselves because we never pop the hood on ourselves and go, wait a second, is the inside of me consistent with the outside of me? Have I taken a second to pop the hood of my life and make sure the inside of me is consistent with the outside? So they had a me first mentality, whatever's convenient for me, regardless of how it affects others. So I can, I can, oh, these people, blah, blah, blah. And, and the Pharisees would just... You didn't follow the rules. You didn't follow the rules. You didn't follow the rules. And what they left out was they didn't either. So it became a do as I say, not as I do. Just like Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 23. So this is an example Jesus was giving. I imagine it was a pretty tense conversation. Anytime you walk into somebody's house and you scream hypocrite like six times, probably not going to end well. So I started, started thinking about how that impacts us and the realization that leadership is not about ruling, it's about serving. The Pharisees were heaping heavy loads on people, but Jesus was actually inviting them to do the exact opposite. I think some of you probably remember Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This used to be a song we used to sing in the church. Take my yoke upon me. Okay. It used to be a song that I sang in the church. <clears throat> no, that was enough. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. Anybody remember this part? My burden is light. So the religious organization of the day, Jesus was saying people were walking into it and they were heaping burdens on the people. But when the people got to Jesus, he said, what? Come to me if you're heavy laden and I will give you more burdens. No, no, no. He didn't say, I will give you more rules. He said, I will give you rest. 
You know what church should be a place of rest, not rules. I just think that inherently. Church should be a place of rest. It shouldn't be a place where everybody's got to fall in line, follow all the rules and just line. Everybody look the same. Everybody act the same. Everybody say the same thing. Everybody we're like, well, I know they're a good church person because they think the same way as I do. You might be crazy. (laughs) Jesus was saying, the religious people want to heap all these rules and burdens on you, but come to me because I'm where grace started. He says, come to me for I will give you, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will give you rest. It was 180 degrees opposite of what the religious people of the day were offering anybody. So what should people find in the church today, man? They should find rest for their souls. They should find rest. It's about serving people, not ruling over them. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. He flipped the script. If nobody was charging to the front of the church to sit in the place of authority anymore, Jesus said, if you want to be an authority, serve people. Don't make up rules, serve people. So what should the church today look like? It shouldn't look like it's all running for the place of authority. It should look like it's serving each other. When the lights go off, and the video stop playing and the music shuts off, we should be a people that ultimately are serving. Amen? Here's another thing. Are we leading people to Jesus or standing in the way. That was a question when I read this. I thought, are we leading people to Jesus or standing in the way? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves or allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Um, let, me, uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Okay, here's the way I understand salvation to, for somebody to accept Christ to be saved. Here's the way I understand it. Um, that you first have to realize you're a sinner. That I'm, with, I'm without help. I have sinned. The Bible says that we've all done it. Trust me, you've done it. We've all sinned. So the Bible tells us that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to the earth, John 3, 16, that he would live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise again. And then we would have the opportunity to accept him as our savior. He was the penalty for our sin. Now that's not really complicated. I'm without a savior and I need a savior. God sent Jesus to be that savior. And so now what I do is I have faith that God has sent Jesus. I have faith in Jesus alone. So, I mean, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Pretty easy. Not complicated. Pretty easy. Faith in Jesus. That's how you're saved. That's it. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Jesus says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Where do you scribes the Pharisees who travel across the sea and land to make single proselyte? And when he becomes a proselyte, you make twice as much child of hell as yourself. Okay. They said, here's what God says about salvation, but here's what we say also. I just want to make sure that the way we're saved is still the same today as what I think it is. 
Because sometimes we can make the mistake. I, I mean, we just did live through 2020, right? We had a pandemic and an election on the same year. I don't know what you guys were talking about in your house, but I'm sure a couple times you talked about the election and you talked about the pandemic. I'm sure more than a couple times you talked about people that didn't agree with you about the election. Yeah? And I bet you a couple times in your house you talked about the people that didn't agree with you about the pandemic. <laughs> I knew it. We're not crazy. Here's the problem. When the conversation starts to go like this, I can't believe people that would vote like that can get to heaven. Now, you might have been more gracious than me and not actually said it out loud. I can't believe people that would think like that about the pandemic could actually be saved. The Pharisees were doing those exact things without having elections and pandemics. They were saying, Jesus was saying, there's only one way to heaven. And they were going, yeah, but you got to follow all these rules. Where the church goes wrong is we say you could come to Christ and then that thing coming to Christ also involves thinking and doing exactly what we think and do. I had a conversation with somebody the other day and we were talking about people being saved. And, they were, and, and the conversation went into certain specific sins that people commit. And this person happened to think some of them were political. I said, listen, my goal in life is to introduce people to Jesus. And then in their relationship with Jesus, they'll figure it out. But here's what I know. If we don't get them to Jesus, there ain't no figuring it out. Amen? So Jesus looks at them and says, once you've converted them, you turn them into twice as much a child of hell as they were before you converted them. So here's the image that it looks like to me. We invite people to church. We say, we leave the politics out of it. We leave the pandemic out. We say, man, just come to church. It's got nice paint. It's got video. It's got lights on the wall. It's got, God's funny. And we'll do all this stuff and it'll be fun. And, and you drop your kids off and it's two hours without your kids. Fill the place up. And then we figure out what they believe politically. And that grace we had for them at the beginning, yank it right out from under it. Then we figure out what they think about masks. Then we figure out what they think about that hot button issue that you know you have to believe a certain way to get to heaven. And then what happens? That same grace that got them to the cross is now ripped right out from under them. And Jesus looked at the Pharisee and said, you will go through all this work to try to convince somebody of the one true God. And then when you convince them, you heap so much condemnation and burdens on them that they can't even live it out. So I started thinking, I started wondering, okay, what were the requirements of salvation? If we're going to look under the hood and figure out how this thing works, belief in Jesus or the voting record? It can't be both. Belief in Jesus or participation in protests? It can't be both. Is it belief in Jesus or the right to say anything we want? 
Because actually, here's what I think has happened in our American churches. I think we've confused salvation with liberty. Come on now. You're going you're to hang with me through the rest of the year? You're like, Chris is starting out a little rocky. Listen to me. If we confuse gospel with the American gospel, we have made a giant mistake. I love the country we're in. I love the fact that we are able to say and do what we want to, but the gospel limits me on what I can say, not the Constitution. Did you hear that? Because Jesus was looking at a group of people that could say and do whatever they wanted at the, at, in spite of how it made other people feel and other people react. He said, you will heap burdens on people and you'll weigh them down and you, don't, you won't move a finger to change it. And there's times where I wake up and as American, not as a Christian, and I want to say everything I want to say about what I think is right. You know what I was saying when I did that. And then I realize that I just ripped the carpet of grace out from under somebody because of my rights here, that I just overrule the gospel. That I just add something to the gospel. Because at the end of the day, I don't know where anybody is on their path towards Christ. So I'm going to ridicule somebody for it? I told somebody on that phone conversation, I said, man, I'm just trying to get people in a relationship with Jesus. And then I believe when they get in a relationship with Jesus, stuff changes. In time, stuff changes. Peter had a process he walked through. Paul had a process he walked through. They didn't wake up the next day. Could you imagine the first couple of weeks with Jesus? Jesus was like, Peter, dude, man, you can't talk like that. You got to ease up on the cussing a little bit. We're not even fishing anymore. <laughs> like, I'm fine with a couple letting it slip in the boat, but dang, man, we're up here. We're in the... We get this idea that Peter, James, and John just straightened up the day after they met Jesus. And their political views were perfect and their social views were perfect. You know what the beauty about their relationship with Jesus was? Jesus never ripped the carpet out from under them. He was with them all the way to the end and he promised them, I'll be with you to the end, man. So as a church, have we, I want to make sure we're not doing what the Pharisees do. I want to make sure we're not adding things to the gospel. I want to make sure we're not making more requirements on people than what Jesus said. I want to make sure that we're, when, when people lift the hood, they see just as much grace on Wednesday as they do on Sunday morning. Can't preach grace one day a week. The serving others first mentality. It shows up in how we disagree with each other. You keep coming here. We'll disagree. Sooner or later. We'll disagree. It shows up in how we forgive each other. It shows up in how we confront each other. How we help each other. How we judge each other. How we talk about each other. The truth of the matter is, 99% of the people we're dealing with, you and me, are not Pharisees. but just people trying to figure it out. They're just other people trying to figure it out. And so when people pop the hood on this church, I want them to see grace. I want them to see forgiveness. I want to see 
I want them to see people who will confront but love all the way through the confrontation. I want to see a, a group of people who, who don't quit on anybody. That we're all the way through the process. That if we go out of our way to make Sunday morning exciting and fun and relaxed and a place for your family and kids, if we go out of the way to do all that stuff, only for people to pop the hood and find out that it that it's not real, then we missed it. I want to be a church where people take a look under the hood, they find out it's safe to make a mistake. Come on, you can say amen to that. Where it's safe to make a mistake. Some of the proudest moments in my life have been walking through mistakes with people. 20 years later, they're still serving in this church. Man, that is, that is awesome. That this is a real place where people, you don't have to be perfect, it'd be nice. You'd at least give it a shot. You don't have to be. And we understand everybody had a difficult year. Not every season is the same. Not every stage of life is the same. But we're all walking towards Jesus together. And man, when people pop the hood on this place, I just want them to see people who care about them. Would you agree with me to live that way this year? When I make a mistake, you got enough grace for me. When you make a mistake, I have enough grace for you. And we'll just keep walking towards Jesus together. I, won't, I promise we won't come up with a lot of rules. Because if we come up with a lot of rules, you're going to be like, the pastor's breaking the rule. But we will come up with a lot of grace. And I want to see us, every time somebody new walks into this building and says, man, that's a cool place. In 15 years, I want them to keep saying that. And this is a good place to raise my kids. This is a good place for us to flesh out the gospel. This is a good place for us to grow in our walk with Christ. It's a real deal, whether you look under it, inside it, or on the outside. It's not just the pain. Can we do that together this year? Can we just walk that journey together for the next year? I'd love to do that with you. Stay on your feet. I want to pray that over you. I want to let you know something we're going to do a little different in this sermon series. We're talking about the next six weeks we're talking about core values and how they kind of flesh out with us in the church and how we treat each other we're going to do something different my wife and I um, we're going to be making a couple videos every week because we believe a core value of honor should be in your family and in your marriage as well amen so you're going to see a video a couple videos every week and we're going to be having a conversation about how you teach honor in your family? How do you honor each other as husband and wife? How do you teach your kids honor? How do you be generous towards each other in your family? How do you teach your kids generosity? I teach them excellence. So you can see a couple videos pop up throughout the week, us having this conversation, because we believe it just doesn't happen here. We believe it happens in the family and in relationships. Amen? So we want to offer that to you uh, through these next six weeks as we go through this. But we believe... That if the church is better, the community is better. Amen? And the way we treat each other in this family is really important. And so, Father, we ask you to give us the energy to do that. Lord, we don't want just to be a 
shiny car, Lord. We want to be a dependable one. Lord, where all the mechanics work. Lord, we don't want to be a church that spends so much time on the paint that we forget what's under the hood. And so we ask you today, Lord, to give us the ability to do that. Lord, let us look at ourselves and speak into our lives and tell us where the work needs done. God, we pray that you've given us enough grace just to walk through this with each other. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we become closer to you, Lord, that that has an impact on our community far and wide. And we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, 